so you're not very well, Christine. No, I'm not very well. I've been under my duvet for basically all of this week. Thank you very much for getting dressed for us. <laughs> it was quite a big effort. Please try not to put your mouth on the microphone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I won't. Hello, my name is Kirsty Stars, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast from the New Economics Foundation. This week, we are back with the banks, which have all just announced their latest financials. So we're asking Christine Berry, senior researcher here at NEF, if it's back to business as usual. Double whammy for HSBC. Not only have profits fallen way short of expectations, but the bank is now under investigation. Stuart Gulliver will earn a quarter of a million pounds less, although he'll still receive £7.34 million. Pounds. RBS basically plummeting. Mm-hmm. No one really would want to buy this bank. Right. The bank paid more than 120 people a million pounds last year. Is that really acceptable for a state-owned, state-controlled bank? I just want the focus on us doing a good job and people not focusing on the CEO's pay. Are you kidding me? The Royal Bank of Scotland, Michael Moore, there's no equivalent in the United States. Why is this bank not put out of its misery? What's the strategic business plan for this dog? So hello, Christine. Welcome back to the weekly economics podcast. It's nice to be back. <laughs> <laughs> and this happens every time. People don't know what to say, then they're like, thank you. <laughs> I shouldn't let you have that pause. Um, so last time uh, you were on, you were talking about why we needed to keep the Royal Bank of Scotland in public hands. Uh, I'm sure listeners will remember. Uh, George Osborne didn't listen to you, uh, despite obviously being an avid uh, Weekly Economics podcast listener. Hello, George. Um, and actually sold off part of the bank. But last Friday, RBS still reported a loss of £2 billion in 2015 and its shares plummeted. So what's going on now, Christine? Well... RBS has been making losses for eight years now, so the fact that it's made a loss in itself isn't a massive surprise. Um, What's surprising is the size of the loss, which is bigger than people were expecting, so that's why its share price has gone down so much. Um, And obviously the CEO was insisting that they're still making good progress and that everything's fine, and they are, it's true, they are kind of slimming down a lot of their kind of overextended tentacles in their investment banking business, their global banking business, but the problem is that's all just being overwhelmed by the size of the payouts that they're still having to make for the mistakes of the past. Um, so the big thing this year, I think, was um, payment protection insurance. So um, fines for mis-selling of payment protection insurance. Ah, uh, yes, you should you should hear how many payment protection insurance claims I've got coming in, thanks to the people who've called me up every single day for the last five years. Um, so what does all this mean for George Osborne's plan to sell off and therefore privatise RBS? I think basically it means it's going to be a much longer road than he was hoping. You know, obviously last time I was on, uh, it was after the election and we were talking about the fact that Osborne was was kind of clearly moving very quickly to reprivatise RBS and it was really obvious that he wanted to get it off the books as soon as possible um, and that's going to be really difficult for him now. So um, with the latest drop, the shares are at about £2.19 I think now, or they were last time I checked, um, and the break-even price from the amount that we paid when we bailed it out is £5.02p. So the prospects of, you know, obviously he'd accept 
accepted that we were going to make a loss. Um, you know, as we discussed before, uh, everyone knows we're not going to break even uh, on our investment in RBS by selling it off. But the idea of it getting back to a kind of price that even Osborne is happy to sell it off at looks like quite a remote possibility at the moment. So that's kind of bad news for him and bad news for his sort of deficit targets, I think, because a lot of his deficit reduction plans rely on kind of selling off everything that he can get his hands on. But it's potentially good news for people who think that we could do something a bit more imaginative with RBS. You know, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that we could still own RBS even at the next election potentially okay can you give me a little bit more detail about what about what you could see happening there uh, well, as people who listen to the RBS podcast will know, uh, and anyone who knows me uh, and knows me being ranty about it, um, we think that RBS should be broken up into a network of local banks with a mandate to serve local communities, but kind of not sold back to the private sector, kept in trust for the public benefit, okay, um, so essentially that, kept in public hands. And that could happen even though some of it's already gone back into private hands? Um, well, there would need to be a kind of process of buying out the bit that we don't still own um, and then potentially selling off some of the bits that we didn't want to keep. So um, it's a little more complicated. But Would it be yeah. dead cheap now anyway? <laughs> um, so RBS weren't alone in reporting their financial results last week. HSBC, Lloyds and Standard Chartered uh, uh, all did as well. How did they fare? Um, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Lloyds probably the best of the lot. You know, they made a profit, albeit less than expected. Um Standard Chartered actually made their first full year loss since 1989, apparently, so not a very good week for them. Um, HSBC made a kind of surprise loss in the last quarter of last year, but still made a profit overall. Um, but they got into quite a bit of trouble with the media uh, for still having a two and a half million bonus part. Although, to be fair to them, their CEO did take a pay cut of £300,000, taking his overall salary to a mere £7.3 million pounds. Wow, I wish I could take a £300,000 yeah. baker and still have uh, some change in, in the bank at the end of it. So it was mixed results, as, as you've said, for Britain's banks. But uh, as you've already identified, their CEOs were still walking away with uh, millions in salary and their bonuses are running into the hundreds of millions as well. How is that still happening? I think basically it's part of a wider pattern of a return to business as usual in the banks. And actually, I think sometimes we don't really do ourselves any favours by focusing so much on bonuses. You know, the whole politics of kind of um, bonuses, you know, banker bonuses, banker bashing and um, bonus caps and things like that. It's relatively easy for people like Osborne, who are fundamentally quite sympathetic to the banks, to kind of make a few gestures in that kind of direction without really changing any of the things that are fundamentally structurally wrong with our banking system, you know, that got us into the mess that we got into in 2008 without really challenging the power of the few big banks that still control the market that still kind of have fundamentally problematic speculative business models. Um, and what we're seeing is that basically not nearly enough was done after the crisis to fix those problems. And even that limited progress is now being rolled back kind of largely unnoticed uh, now that people's memories of the crisis have faded. OK, so in what ways has the government been rolling back on the things that we were um, you know, alluding to doing uh, post-crash and uh, the election? Um, well, there's a whole number of things, really. So one of the things that was done after the crash uh, was there was a new consumer regulator set up, the Financial Conduct Authority, that was supposed to be a consumer champion. Um, and the chief executive of that, Martin Wheatley, was put in post because he was kind of challenging and tough on the banks, um, which obviously meant that the banks didn't really like him. And last year he was sacked um, largely 
I think most analysts thought, directly pushed by Osborne because the banks didn't like him. Um, and that has kind of since signalled a bit of a shift in tone at that regulator. So a whole number of kind of inquiries into things like banking culture, into HSBC's alleged role in tax evasion have been dropped. Um, there's also been some changes made to the bank levy to basically to benefit the likes of HSBC with kind of big global banking operations at the expense of smaller challenger banks. And also the the ring fence between retail and investment banking, which was basically the, the one concession that was made towards trying to start to split up, you know, the big mega banks split their retail from their investment operations. Um, you know, the devil of that was always going to be in the detail. And that's also being watered down now because of bank lobbying and is likely to be a lot less effective than we were led to believe it was going to be and really kind of protecting the taxpayer from risks in the investment banking part of the business. Oh, my God, you've just reminded me of, me of a, lo- a load of things that I was angry about at the time. Damn hard. Digital amnesia. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the bank levy. There is—is is that the financial transaction tax or the Robin Hood tax, as it was uh, called? Uh, no, this is a a, a UK only measure, which. Um in the 2010 election campaign, George Osborne referred to as a new bank tax on banks, um, which, yeah, I thought was a real great example of the depth of his uh, policy on financial reform. Um, (laughs) But basically what it was, was, yeah, it was a political gesture that the idea, I think, was that to help sort of pay for the cost of the crisis that they created, that the banks would be required to pay this sort of additional tax that other companies don't have to pay. Um, And it was levied on global balance sheets, which meant that which I think was presumably part of the idea since they were the ones that caused the crisis in the first place. You know, big international banks like HSBC were hit disproportionately hard by it and UK-based banks were hit not so hard. Um, And that is being phased out now, partly because of really vociferous lobbying from HSBC um, in particular. Um, And it's been replaced by a new corporation tax surcharge so that Osborne can still say that he's got a bank tax on banks, but it's calculated in a slightly different way, brings a whole load of smaller banks into the net and reduces HSBC's tax bill quite significantly. Wow, good, good. That was that was, that was jargon busterific. Sorry. Um, <laughs> very well explained. Thank you very much. Um, but when a bank like HSBC um, has uh, profits of 13.2 billion in 2015, doesn't that kind of justify that their approach is working? You know, surely with the tax that that brings in and the jobs that creates, that's business that we couldn't do without. Well, this is an argument that's being made more and more at the moment, and particularly by kind of the banking lobby. Uh, we're being told that we need to not kill the goose that lays the golden egg, right? You know, I love articulating um, myself on behalf of the banking lobby. That's <laughs> Sorry, Kirsty. <laughs> I, I hate to identify you with the British Bankers Association, but you did just say a thing that the British Bankers Association might say <laughs> um, and have said. Um, Don't we have a klaxon for that? <laughs> Uh, So, you know, this idea that, you know, banking is important to our economy, not because it lends to sound businesses or because it provides us with, you know, essential financial services that we need, but because it's a kind of sector in its own right and we need it because it pays taxes and it creates jobs. Um, And I think there's three things to say about that. Um, The first is that the benefits of banking as an industry to us are vastly overstated. So like in terms of jobs, uh, banks have actually been cutting jobs since about 2006, even at the height of the boom, actually, they weren't creating that many jobs. I think about 36,000 new jobs between 1991 and 2007. Wow. Um, and they've been cutting jobs 
pretty much even since before the crisis, you know, because of automation, because they're offshoring for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with regulation, much as they might like to pretend that it's all about regulation. Um, and in terms of tax as well, you know, banks are actually paying less in corporation tax and bank levy now than they were in 2008. Uh, it's about 3.9 billion down from 8.9 billion in 2008. And that's actually less, that's not even enough to cover the interest payments on the amount we paid to bail them out, which has been calculated about 5 billion a year. Um, so, and again, particularly with a bank like HSBC, right, which is allegedly complicit in tax evasion on a massive scale, you know, the argument that we need to keep these banks uh, here or that, you know, these banks are great for the economy because they, they you know, give so much in tax and um, they make, they create so many jobs is, um, I think, just doesn't really hold much water. And secondly, you know, they are a massive liability. Uh, so we've calculated new research we published this week that the markets do still seem to think that banks are too big to fail, that they would be bailed out if there was another crisis. And because of that, they benefit to the tune of about 5.8 billion a year in terms of lower borrowing costs so they can borrow more cheaply because investors don't believe that they'll be allowed to fail um, if they were to go bust. So the state is still standing behind those banks. Um, but if the government doesn't give uh, those banks our support, uh, surely they'll just pack their bags and take their business somewhere else, no? Well, again, you know, this is what HSBC has been saying for the last year or so. They did a very protracted 10-month review into where their headquarters were going to be. You know, was it going to be London? Were they maybe going to move to Hong Kong or to the US or whatever? Um, and conveniently, you know, um, wrap that up just in the last couple of weeks when things started to actually look a bit dicey in global stock markets. I think, you know, most analysts thought it was never hugely likely that they were actually going to move their headquarters. There are all kinds of reasons why it's good for banks to be in London have, again, nothing to do with tax or regulation, things like the time zone, like the global language, the infrastructure and the ecosystem, financial services that's here. I mean, the other thing is, you know, if those banks really did pack up and leave, how bad would it really be, right? I think it's perfectly possible for governments to call banks bluff on things like this, you know, particularly a bank like HSBC. I just find it really astonishing. This is a bank, right, that's been accused of being involved in you know, laundering drugs money, facilitating tax evasion on a massive scale. In any kind of decent society, that company would not have a social licence to operate. And instead, what we've got is a government that's bending over backwards to basically rewrite the entire tax regime, rewrite all of the you know, regulations and reforms that were supposedly put in place to keep us safe after the last crisis in order to keep that bank in the country. And like, to me, that just seems crazy. Well, thanks so much, uh, Christine, for coming on, on again and for giving a really uh, passionate analysis of something that uh, some people might consider quite boring. <laughs> thanks, I think. <laughs> we're holding out for that decent society anyway, Christine, so I hope you can help us um, bring about some change in the banking system. What the f***? <laughs> <laughs> We'll be back at the same time next week. If you want to help the podcast, please go to iTunes now and give us a rating. It really helps us find new listeners. Right now, we have more than 40 different reviews from people, uh, but by my economics, there's certainly more than 40 of you listening. So get on there and click five stars. Thank you. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.